Hello and welcome to another edition of Heart of Healthcare. My name is Dr. Jan Bonhoeffer and these podcasts are about helping physicians restore balance in their lives so we can co-create a medical system that benefits everyone. A quick reminder that you can find more information about our nonprofit Heart-Based Medicine and the work we do to support healthcare professionals at heartbasedmedicine.org. Welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast, series two, episode two, when today we're asking, how do physicians manage to reclaim their joy and passion for what they do? Healthcare professionals are often the last people to recognize the fact that they need help. And maybe they have lost their joy and positive motivation for being a healer during their journey. So in today's call, we want to explore this a little further and see what is the science behind it and what might be those factors that drive us to be the worst doctors for ourselves. So please allow me to introduce my friends and colleagues during this uh, podcast episode. First, let me introduce a new guest, (laughs) Sarah Golding. Dr. Sarah Golding is a medical doctor who coaches other doctors and specializes in career change and well-being. And she's following questions and teaching about how can we build well-being into the system from even before applying to medical school. And she is pursuing questions like, can we encourage self-reflection and self-care as a key component of medical training? Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Lovely to be here. And it's also a great pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Dan Tinnenberg. He is double board certified in family medicine and integrative holistic medicine. And he supports his patients with holistic primary care and integrative techniques so that they can shift their own perceptions of healing and unlock their innate physical, mental, emotional and spiritual growth. And with this, he offers a unique and, I'd say, bespoke health journey for his patients. Welcome, Dan. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Jan. Hi, Sarah. What an honor to be here today. (laughs) So let's dive into this question. What is it that we are kind of our worst own doctors? So one of the first questions that we may want to address today is how can we engender a collegiate sense of joy and well-being in the clinic or in the hospital while we're in the midst of it. Sarah, do you want to take it off today? Certainly. I think it's a key question. And I think for me, it starts with permission. And that's permission that you work doesn't have to involve suffering that we do have some choices in how we work and that essentially you can't be what you don't see. So if all you're seeing around you are people who are struggling and feeling like they have to have a competition to suffer the most and have the worst day, have the most difficult patient or case loads or demands, then that's what we're going to feel that we have to be. We're quite good at being chameleons like that. And I think if we can give ourselves permission to find joy wherever you might seek it, um, even in the very small moments of the day, and also role model that to other people, I think that's 
part of the way to start challenging what can be quite a sort of groupthink mentality um, and quite a sort of negative spiral. We all have to be bonding over the difficult bits, but what if we bond over the great bits instead? Fantastic. Thank you. Let me challenge you here a little bit. Is that possible that a healthcare professional, so a professional whose job it is to exude health, know about health and invite others who feel less well into a space of healing, and we don't give ourselves permission for joy and health? I think certainly that's been my experience at times. And I know as a, I'm a mentor for family doctors and I'm an appraiser um, and I teach junior doctors in, in family medicine. And I have heard over all the years, I've been doing it for 21 years now, I, I do think there can be in certain organisations and settings more than others, a particular mentality. Um, and certainly for me, when I was working in my practice and as a partner a few years ago, I think that's how we bonded was over the negative rather than the positive. Um, and I think it would be rare to talk about your successes. We would more talk about the things that we found challenging and kind of bond over the fact that we were all having a difficult day or a difficult week or we had that particularly challenging pa patient that we found challenging coming back again and again and poor me. I think it's a bit like with transactional analysis, the drama triangle, we put ourselves in the in the position of victim sometimes, and that can be a reflection of our own distress. Oh, if only we weren't being persecuted all the time, everything would be okay. Um, and I think it's where we can't always necessarily change the workload that comes in, but the thing we have power over is how we respond to it and focusing on what we can control rather than what we can't control for me, is where the power lies. Yeah, thank you. That is really valuable. So, Dan, let me know, is this your experience as well? So, Sarah is calling in from the UK. You were trained in, in the US and you're now living in Kauai and practicing in Kauai. So, what is your experience of why do we, do you observe the same phenomenon? Is this a global thing or is this a local phenomenon and, and and why do we what is your take on why we bond over the negative and not over the positive thank you jan it's a it is a international it's a systemic issue that we're dealing with i think it comes directly from the training and we've gone through um a period of time in which we actually learned victimhood We learned through, you know, uh, very difficult hours, very difficult, challenging job apprenticeship, so to speak, to get to a place where we are now working. And through that period of time, it is what you end up talking about. It's, you know, whether, you know, now it's shifted slightly, but it's like whether it was a 120-hour work week or I was on call for 36 hours in a row or, oh my goodness, I had these three patients. And that is what you are connecting with others around. 
you know, bringing your joy and celebrating what's going really well is not something that you necessarily are sharing with your colleagues. Because then at some point, you've almost realized that they might be having a bad day or they might be suffering. And so almost like you're like, oh, you know, hey, I had four easy patients in a row and it was really fun and I got out early and I had a really long lunch that doesn't feel right because all of a sudden you're feeling like you know the camaraderie is not there and so there's a systemic issue that starts very early and i think that's what really happens and then there's an aspect of this that you know i'm just thinking about now as we're talking about this but you know we've a lot of us that go into healthcare are very good at giving you know we're that's in some ways, again, maybe a systemic issue of what and who comes into the field, but we're better at giving than receiving. And so we've gone into healthcare to be of service to others, which actually is something that is incredibly profound, but can that be something that we find joy in doing? And in so doing, I think Sarah brought up something that's beautiful, which is the idea of modeling. The idea of how do you do that yourself so that you could model that for someone else. And so you can actually give by reflecting how that is in your own life. And, you know, you talked about kind of the difference between, you know, training, UCSF training and then kind of moving to Kauai. That's part of my journey. That's part of my own reflection. You know, I, I felt like in San Francisco, I, you know, still a holistic physician and still very much about kind of a mind-body-spirit approach, but it felt very um, heady, if you will. It came from a place of this is what we do and talking about what we do, but not very embodied. You know, it's I worked really hard at maintaining that balance in my life, but ultimately it was a lot about like, oh, talking about it and then going to something else and hearing about it and then talking about it and then chatting. And like it's it becomes a very heady process as opposed to now where I'm living, you know, much more aligned in nature and it's a much more embodied practice. And so what I bring is ultimately that balance that actually exists within myself. And so then by giving of what's going on with me. And so now with a colleague, of course I would share my my strengths and what's going well and what makes me balanced and what I enjoy doing. So it, it's a subtle difference. And as you're talking about my own shift, it's about my own evolution in my own consciousness and how I what I bring to my patients and what I would then bring to my colleagues. Very beautiful. It just, I think you're really, you're really demonstrating um, that what we are talking about isn't something we learn as a piece of knowledge that can be learned at medical school. <laughs> it is about an insight that we may have the, great, the grace to have <laughs> and then about how to actually embody this and how to really go through an inner transformation, an inner cultural change that allows us to kind of come back <laughs> and serve from a different place within us. It's just expanding on 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 Sarah's point of um, bonding on the negative and and what you were saying, Dan, in terms of it's a kind of a heady approach, or for you, kind of in your evolution, there was a phase of a kind of heady approach. To me, it makes a lot of sense that we are connecting on the negative and on the problem, as this is 
this is really what our cognitive analytic mind is really what it's good at. It's good at discerning things. That's the power of the tool. It's good at differentiating. And so whenever there's a problem to be solved, like problems are like superfood for our analytic brain. That's exactly, that's the strength of it. And this is that part in us that we have been trained in so almost unilaterally, you know, so, so much. While other parts, we didn't really have the same sort of training. So we're coming out of medical school in a kind of unbalanced training. Uh, um, uh, yeah. So, Sarah, let me ask that question to you because you, you, make a big point in when you talk publicly or when you teach here you, you, it's it's a big point for you to say like let's start this before medical school like it has can you elaborate on that
Yeah, excellent. I'd love to dive into this in a minute. Let's just before we go there, there is a reason why some of our colleagues contact you. And there is also a reason why most of our colleagues don't contact you. <laughs> and part of why they don't contact you is probably, let me assume, <laughs> is that there's a lack of sense for that that's actually a need that they have because it's so drummed out of us that we don't even, we're blind to our own needs. Can you comment on that? Why is that? Yeah, I think, I, I think it's partly that. It's not normed. Um, and again, we don't see people talking about those experiences. Um, I also think there's a connotation with failure that if you choose to pursue any form of support, whether that's psychological, I, well, I do mean psychological or emotional, that that's not seen as worthy a category as if you went to some intense peloton class and you were doing that every day um, and eating all, all the rainbow and all, eating all the good stuff, somehow I think it's this mental stigma. Um, and I think maybe there are people who do it and feel shamed. And I think I had a little bit of coaching that was given to me for free on the NHS when I didn't realise I was burning out. It should have been my clue. I filled in a form and thousands of us applied and I got given it. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm not sure I need it, but I've got it for free, so I'll give it a go. And actually, by the end of that, I resigned my partnership. <laughs> and, and, and actually, it was incredibly transformative for me. So I was lucky to, to have some. And I think just thinking through, I would love there to be coaching as a part or mental coaching as a part of our medical training and normalized and kind of I don't want to say it has to be done I can't think of the word for it you know obligatory um, but people that do psychiatry psychology counseling they all have compulsory supervision our medical profession is incredibly stressful every single area we're responsible for the bodily health of people with huge consequences. So I would love to see something like that, where there's a compulsory form of supervision, whatever that looks like, all the way through. And I do think that would make a difference. Yeah, it certainly would. So you're talking about the stigma associated with... Um, not being strong as a healthcare professional, right? So in our views, uh, when we are not providing care, then we need care. And isn't it our patients that need our care? So basically, once we need care, it means we're like our patients. And then that means somehow we're not giving anymore, but now we need to take. Dan, could you expand on this a little bit from a holistic point of view? There is this when I talk about this with some colleagues, what I get as a response quite often is, oh, you're looking for something like a balanced group. You're proposing, you know, is this what you're proposing? <laughs> I'm saying, no, balanced groups are great, 
but um, that's not exactly what we're about here. This is about a different kind of path, and and you're really walking this path. Could you could you expand on what is it that really moves us away from this stigma and allows us to to embrace self care? I think we're getting to it now. You, this is a really this is a really important moment to understand where this comes from and then how to kind of shift this stigma. And I think that to me, it comes, it's sort of what we were talking about before is sort of the training and then becoming the martyr. I think there's also this part of ourselves as healthcare practitioners that we overstretch ourselves and we then feel this sense of martyrdom. And I think that's really what we're talking about here is the fact that we, by overstretching and by continually supporting others without giving to ourselves, we create this this martyr, this, this person that is really challenging to actually live up to. It's something that doesn't really exist and it's not really real. And so from a holistic model, it's like it's all about giving and receiving. It's about breath. It's about inhale and exhale. It's about the yin and the yang of who we are and how we show up. And I think one of the things that I was able to do in my pivot in my life is really start to bring more of myself into my work. And what I mean by that is like I co-create with others and I reflect back to them and I tell them what I really think or some things of my own experience. But by doing that, I'm actually bringing myself into the conversation, into the diagnosis and the treatment because I'm now saying, hey, I might not know all the answers, but I have expertise and this is what I'm bringing. And then it allows them to then be part of the process. So what we've done before is set up you know, if, and I'll quote you now, Jan, I love it, but if problems are the superfoods for the analytic brain, and now through our training, we've become a, somewhat of a martyr and we're overstretching ourselves and we're the ones that can come up with the answers, then we are the ones that diagnose and we treat and we tell people what to do. And then they, the patients then, are out of the equation and the doctors aren't really having to step up and show and show that balance in their own lives. And so we set up something that Sarah was talking about. All of us are pushing ourselves into this shape that doesn't really exist. And so it's allowing more authenticity, allowing ourselves and then the yin and the yang. The balance is really the balance between the brain, that analytical, and the heart and the feelings and what that really could be. And so then you're allowing giving and receiving. And so then the stigma actually goes because then you as a practitioner, as a provider, as a healthcare giver can share your own struggles. Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what, and so now you do not have to sit on this high pedestal of that you are untouchable and that you are certainly you know, not going through the same things that they are. And so now you're on this kind of equal playing field. And when you're doing that, then the stigma can leave between you and your patients and then therefore it can leave between you and your colleagues and then it's just gone because you are human and within being human, you're bringing a lot of that to the table. Um, 
I love that, Sarah, when you spoke about kind of like even, you know, positive psychology and you brought up Marty Seligman and, you know, I always think of that as a framework, but you think about like, oh, we're thinking about happiness with someone, but you're thinking about, you know, positive emotion and engagement, relationship, meaning and achievement. At least you're giving a foundational matrix, so to speak, of like, hey, am I meeting these parameters? And so is there something that we could then show like you were saying Sarah with you know your 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 strategy of bringing in like what are you doing for yourself you know are you fulfilling your own meaning and purpose are you giving just because that's what you wanted to do and you wanted to accomplish something is that only the achievement that you were trying to do or is this still being of service is still in alignment with your overall purpose and your meaning and are you are you supporting your relationships I mean all of us you know, in medicine, I think the quiet thing that's not talked about is what happens in the families of doctors? What happens to ourselves as the patients? Are we really taking care of ourselves, our families in that same way? Or do we, as I say, martyr ourselves throughout the day and then you come home and you're exhausted and you have no time for the people that are the most important in your life that are there to nourish whether it be kids, whether it be a spouse, whether it be ourselves, to nourish ourselves in such a way that we then enjoy showing up. And that's where not only the stigma shifts, but our way of being shifts, and then how we nourish ourselves shifts, and how we show up shifts. And then it actually can become a much more enjoyable profession where you can show up for yourself and therefore for others. Haha, uh-huh, wow. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Dan. Sarah, as you coach our colleagues, how do you help them along the lines of what Dan just said? How do you help them live, kind of rediscover their values <laughs> and, and find out about the star shape that they had before they turned into a triangle and <laughs> kind of make friends with it again and, and kind of kind of really come back to a new place from which to re-emerge more fully as a human being. What are the key factors that you're observing in our colleagues that really need most attention? Mm. I think I think part of the first step is to be able to mentally and, and sometimes physically step away from what what are you doing all day every day and and allow yourself to really think firstly what's going on right now because there's usually a discomfort that has driven people to to want to talk about things what is the discomfort where is that really coming from you know is it that you're not fulfilled in your work or is it that you're not fulfilled in your whole life and it's encouraging them and allowing them to have a look at if you had two circles and one was a large circle and one was a tiny one inside it how does it look like for you at the moment is the big circle work with life inside it as the small one or is it vice versa and when you show that to people you can see them going oh it is that I my whole life is about my work and I'm trying to fit my life around it and it isn't. My life is just whatever's left behind from the work. And I that's not what I want. The majority of people 
are coming to the conclusion that just because I've got to where I am at, whether I finish my training or I'm early stages or I'm quite far into it, I'm not satisfied and there's something that's not working for me. And then going back to real basics, you know, what things fire you up? What are your values? And I spend some time with talking with people about what are your values professionally? You know, what would it look like to really be thriving at work? And what are your values personally for you, your family, your well-being, your spirituality, your interests, your hobbies, whatever? And that it's okay to have those two, but what do you notice when you look at them? Because often there's this, as Dan was alluding to, there's this push-pull And certainly I found when I was a partner and I was working all these crazy hours and I was getting home and I was so tired, I couldn't even talk to my husband when I got home. And he's a hospital doctor, um, but actually his was, his is a less demanding specialty, interestingly. And he sort of looked at me and he'd go, don't worry, only two days and it's the weekend. And after a while I'd go, that's, I thought he was being helpful But afterwards, I thought, oh, it's really sad to think that way, isn't it? And I think it's the stepping away and almost looking down and giving somebody the space in which to safely look at what would ideal look like? What would good look like? What what bits of me are not being challenged or fulfilled And also it can be interesting to look at times in the past where they've either had a positive or a negative experience and go, okay, what strengths did you use there that you can use now? And how did they shape you? Because that can really be informative, um, particularly from when we're younger. So it's all sorts of different things, really. Um, Yeah, and I think uh, it was interesting coming back to what Dan was saying earlier about how we are amazing at giving compassion to other people. But I think there are studies that show that we find it incredibly uncomfortable to receive compassion from others and even more so to receive compassion from ourselves. And we somehow other ourselves. We consider ourselves a different category to the rest of the human race um, that somehow has to live in a different way. And I think stepping off that pedestal And being that authentic, vulnerable self goes, actually, why can't I be the same as everybody else and have needs? Because actually, all of this self-care is a form of self-preservation. And if all I'm doing is counting down to retirement, then how depressing. Would I want that for my children or my best friend? No. Um, And I I, I think just looking from the outside in is probably a one-line answer. It's, it's so important what you're saying is both both parts. One is our our inability to look and see, and that is often for our it's due to a, a, a professional blindness that helps us to keep a sense of self, an identity. We're kind of keeping up an identity, and. As we know that giving up an identity or a personality part, it's a bit like dying, right? So then 
wow, who wants to die, right? <laughs> so, so if now somebody shows up, as you said in the beginning, and said, I had a great four patients. I just saw, you know, four patients in a row, and it was fantastic. Or Dan brought this example, right? So where, where if you're saying that, you'll get a pushback from your colleagues, right? It's, you'll be like, all right, okay, so you're enjoying it. Well, you know, I've got a special job for you so that you stop enjoying and you suffer as much as I do. Right? So there is a, there's a bit of a, a push towards um, collective suffering, and it's, it's nurtured by our sense of self that is kind of the, the martyr. It's, it's part of our identity. And so if somebody is actually starting to change the wheel in a direction where we would all want to go fundamentally, um, you'll be ridiculed or you'll be pushed back or you'll be, uh, yeah, it would be considered not collegial or it would be, it's, it's amazing. So how somehow we're really to our detriment, we're not supporting each other, but we're holding, we're holding each other down in a place where we don't want to be. And so the, the approach that you're taking, Sarah, is I guess, if I understand you correctly, is, is fundamentally is, is looking at what are your resources, what are your potentials, remember your initial spark, and let's kind of kindle this flame again, and let's really see where, where are these strengths that, can we, that we can resuscitate <laughs> so, so that you can become a normal human being rather than, rather than somebody something that doesn't exist, right? As, um, as, as we said before. Wow, fantastic. Thank you. Um, this time flies when we go dive deep. <laughs> and uh, we've already reached the end of, of our um, episode here. So I just uh, really want to thank you for being on the show. And uh, I think this has been another kind of great episode um, with Jan and Sarah. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I just hope that you enjoyed the chat together and that those who are listening to us have, have enjoyed the conversation. And uh, you can find more information at heartbasedmedicine.org. And I deeply appreciate if you could click subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Until next time, folks, thanks and take care. This has been a Heartbased Medicine production. Thanks for listening.